You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 648 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Wednesday evening into Thursday morning. And uh, as a PSA, the second half of today's podcast is a competition that I had with David Ramil of Locked on Heat. I was actually basically the guest on Locked on Heat. It's sort of a crossover episode, but he is hosting and I'm playing that role. So if you are care to listen to that, it will be on the feed um, in the second half of this podcast. But the big news in Hawks land on Wednesday was a positive report about Trey Young's status. Uh, I'll take you through what happened a little bit on Wednesday morning into the midday. And then, into, and then into the afternoon. As we talked about last night on the podcast, Young was uh, diagnosed immediately with, with a right ankle sprain, and there was a lot of sort of holding of breath going into what looked to be an MRI on Monday, uh, sorry, on Wednesday. But the good news is that Trey Young avoided the MRI entirely. Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports reported that first, breaking news that Young was basically going to be okay eventually um, and avoided the MRI. From there, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN added that Young could return next week originally. Chris Fiddlemore of the AJC then reported that the Hawks had officially ruled out Trey Young for Thursday's game against Miami, but then he would be reevaluated next week. Finally, the official word came down when the Hawks announced on Wednesday afternoon that Young quote, received treatment at Emory Sports Medicine Complex, end quote. He was ruled out for Thursday's game officially there, and the uh, reevaluation for Young will be on Monday. The Hawks did not offer a timetable for Young, but all indications are that he could be back as soon as Tuesday, um, which is interesting. I mean, I, could be is very, very important there. It does not mean that he will be back on Tuesday, but that's the, time, that's the next, next time the Hawks will actually play a game. They have four full days. They have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off after Thursday's Halloween game against Miami. So plenty of time if you're looking for a schedule victory here. It works out as, it works out as about as well as possible for the Hawks because of the fact that they have those four days off. He's going to miss Thursday's game, so that's at least one absence. But the four days off makes it really, really nice from there. Um, the Hawks do have a busy schedule next week. Um, they have three games and four nights all at home, which is a little, a little bit interesting in a lot of ways. They have a back-to-back with San Antonio and Chicago on Tuesday and Wednesday. Then a day off Thursday and Friday against the Sacramento Kings, who are struggling right now at home um, to end the lengthy homestand. And then the West Coast trip that is a doomsday for a lot of teams and a pretty tough slate for the Hawks begins on April 10th, uh, sorry, April 10th, <laughs> on November 10th. So lots of uh, look-ahead stuff there, but the big thing, obviously, is that Trey Young could, could be back as soon as next week, and that's really, really good news, of course. The Hawks have myriad options in Young's stead on Thursday's game. Obviously, he's going to be missing this game coming up against Miami. They have Ty Wallace, they have Henry Bebry, who started the second half against Miami on Tuesday. They had Kevin Herter, of course, and then Cam Reddish, who has some league responsibilities. It'd be very helpful, honestly, if Kevin Herter could play more. The Hawks did not practice on Wednesday, so no update, at least as of right now, on his minutes restriction. If there's anything that comes out from that, I will tweet it out on Thursday. But um, if Herter is limited, that, that makes things more difficult offensively, clearly, in the this game. Just for the record, Evan Turner is listed as doubtful, so I'm expecting him to miss this game again with the Achilles issue that kept him off the floor on Tuesday. No word as of yet as, as to whether Brennan Goodwin will be called up for Thursday. He is in College Park. There would be every reason to bring him back, I would, I would imagine, as insurance, but the Hawks may not do that if it's a one-game thing. We'll see if that, we'll see if that's in the cards or not on Thursday, but as of the time of this recording, Goodwin has not been recalled just yet, although I expect he could be in the near future. 
I said this a lot over the summer and even during this season, but the uh, the offense projects to struggle without Troy Young pretty clearly. They had this season. This season is a very small sample size, you know, three and a half games or so. But the Hawks are only scoring 87.9 points per hundred possessions without Young on the floor this season. That is, you know, abjectly terrible. I can't imagine it will be that bad, but that's how bad it's been so far this season. They have a 110 offensive rating with him on the court, which is, you know, a top 10 offense level or even better than that. So a very, very wide split this season. Last year, the Hawks were 6.6 points per 100 possessions better on offense with Young on the floor as to as, as opposed to with when he was off the court. From December 1st on, so once Young sort of got straightened out after his um, awful November, from that point forward, the Hawks were almost 10 points better per 100 possessions um, with Young on the court offensively. Now, the defense was better. Without him last season, this year he's been competing a little bit better. I, you will say, optimistically, if you want to see how, how the Hawks can get through this stretch without Young, if, whether it's one game or two games, three games, however this, however long this goes, the optimistic side would say that the defense could improve. If, if you're playing Bembry at point guard in place of Young, the, the defense is going to improve. Now, the offense almost certainly will not. Maybe in a one-game sample it could, but in general, you know, basically the difference last season and especially this season, but even last season and on a much larger scale, the Hawks are basically a top 10 offense whenever Trey Young played and a worse than the league level offense whenever he doesn't play. So it's a very wide split there. So keep keep that in mind for Thursday. There's a reason why the Hawks are underdogs at home to Miami in that spot. Obviously, Miami is a, project, a projected playoff team, um, but still it wouldn't be that, it would, the spread would not be that, that wide. Right now it's like six, six and a half, seven points, something like that. That would not be the case. If Young was playing, it would be more closer to a coin flip situation, I would imagine. But, yeah, keep an eye on that, and we'll see if they're able to score against Miami on Thursday. And hopefully, if you're a Hawks fan, that will be the last time that Young is, is not playing uh, this, this season because, again, they need him really really badly, and that's something we've, we've been discussing all summer long. So, major takeaway here is that essentially it's the best-case scenario for Young and the Hawks. Obviously, I recommend real caution still if I was the Hawks here, and the Hawks do have a track record of taking it easy with guys as they come back from injury. They're, I would hope they're not going to rush him along. If he is ready to go on Tuesday, then obviously just play him. You know, Chelsea Lane is really, really good, best in the business level. So if she's comfortable with him playing on Tuesday, then they will play him, I'm sure. But uh, I would lean towards the caution. When you're dealing with this kind of situation with Trey Young as the face of the franchise, best player on the team, et cetera, et cetera, you had every reason to look to the future rather than the present. I know the Hawks need to win these games to, to maybe keep, keep their playoff hopes alive, all that, all that stuff, but be careful with Trey Young would be my uh, overarching sentiment here. It wouldn't stun me if, the, if you missed the game Tuesday or Wednesday or both, but all things considered, it's an absolutely home run scenario for the Hawks after the injury and the way that it looked and the way that he was, he was on crutches last night, et cetera, et cetera. Very good things when it comes to Trey Young's injury status, and we will look ahead, of course, um, from here. But Thursday, he will not be playing, and that's something we know at this point in time, so keep an eye on that. Um, just as a PSA here, there will, there will be a podcast after the game on Thursday night. I actually will be flying during the game on an airplane, so I'm not sure where I'll be recording from, but there will be a podcast after that. I'll be relying on the power of the good folks at Delta and their live TV on a plane. My plane is supposed to be equipped with live TV, and because... Is a TNT game. I should be able to watch the Hawks live despite being on an airplane. So hopefully that works out for me. But regardless, I will be here with a new podcast after the game. And that will probably be the last time you hear from me until next week as I'll be out of town all weekend, etc., etc. Unless there's crazy breaking news as I usually try to break in whenever possible. So before we get to the podcast crossover that I did with David Ramil, I want to talk to you about the good folks at MyBookie. Pro and college basketball are tipping off, obviously, with the NBA already in session and college basketball beginning next week with a couple of headline matchups, and there's no better way to feel a part of the action than to have a stake in the game with mybookie.ag. 
Either way, if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. There's plenty to monitor between Michigan State and Cassius Winston returning, a loaded Duke team, a loaded Kentucky team, all kinds of big names and you know, marching band stuff and, and the pep band stuff, all that fun stuff. There's plenty of basketball to go around and plenty of games on the board every single night once college basketball hits. If you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Again, that's doubling your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDONNBA, all one word. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, and you get paid. I'm joined now by Brad Rowland, host of Locked on Hawks, to talk about Tuesday's game between Atlanta and Miami and to preview their upcoming matchup on Thursday night. How you doing, Brad, first of all? I'm all right. You know, it's uh, it's basketball season. We're getting into the swing of things here. I feel like we've already been in the season for weeks, and it hasn't been that long, but uh, we're ready to go. It's been a week, actually, hasn't it? I mean, I think uh, my uh, Wednesday was Miami's first game. They've played four games since then, but it, it just there's so much going on almost every night. It's a lot of fun, but it's also a little hectic sometimes keeping up with everything. That is that is certainly true, and the Hawks, the Hawks didn't even open until Thursday, so it's actually been less than a week for me, which is kind of crazy. But wow, yeah, jam packed. Yeah, so let's get right into it. Obviously, the big news that Trey Young's injury not as bad as originally thought. Uh, I guess the MRI revealed that it was a mild sprain and that he'd be out for uh, about a week or so. I, he, I know he'll be out for Thursday's matchup against Miami, but what's the prognosis on that, if you can offer any other details? Yeah, he actually avoided an MRI, which was a surprise um, in the reporting and what the Hawks eventually announced. Uh, no MRI actually was even taken. I guess this one oh. went down so much this morning that they are uh, – you know, not officially listening of his day to day, but uh, they're saying he's out for Thursday and will not be reevaluated until Monday. But looks like it's going to be fairly short term based on all the reporting and the official words. So, yeah, one game missed, which is the one we're going to talk about sometimes here. Um, but yeah, uh, not too bad for the Hawks. Pretty positive. Yeah. What, what did you think of the injury? I mean, I know it was a fluke occurrence. It wasn't. You didn't see anything flavor. I know fans can be a little irrational sometimes, but did you see anything from Justice where maybe Hawks fans might be a little upset? Is he going to get booed in Atlanta, do you think, for causing would, an injury to Trey Young? I'd be surprised. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine. I, I, honestly, until you said that, I couldn't imagine anybody thinking that. Maybe, maybe somebody will, just because that's the nature of the beast, but I didn't see much of anything like that. I think it was just more of that freak incident that happens sometimes and I think it you know maybe if it would actually would have been worse but now that it's generally seemed to be okay the venom if there was any should die down so but yeah I didn't really see anything weird there just a kind of typical ankle thing and and by the way it was kind of Trey Young's first injury ever from what he was saying like so that's kind of interesting too but a run in the middle sprung ankle you know if it had been worse than that maybe something else but uh for me didn't didn't see much to uh get upset about so what was your take on uh, Atlanta's performance following the young injury? Because obviously you guys were neck. I mean, the, both teams were neck and neck until the injury. And then things kind of fell apart, I think, for Atlanta from that point forward. Did you expect that to be the case? Or were you think? did you think maybe the Hawks would be able to put up a little bit more of a fight even without Young there? It was honestly pretty on brand for what I imagine would happen if they were not, if they did not have Trey Young. Um, that's kind of the top line thought that I would have. You know, all, kind of all off season we talked about what would happen if Trey rolled an ankle or if Trey you know had a wrist injury or something like that and missed a week. 
And the general consensus was that the Hawks would be in some trouble on, on offense. They just, they just don't really have much firepower. They have some guys who are skilled, but they don't really have a primary ball handler aside from him. So the fact that they just kind of couldn't score after Young left the game was not a, was not a huge surprise. They played decent defense at times, but they went like five and a half minutes without a single point in the second quarter. Um, you know, it may not be that bad all the time. There's probably some shock about Young not being there, um, but still, I think for the most part, the offensive struggles were pretty indicative of kind of what I what I'm what I'm expecting. Honestly, as long as yeah. Trey's off the court, and defensively, they could actually probably be a little bit better without him because they could play bigger and switch and stuff like that. But the offense is just going to be kind of rough. So, who starts in his place on Thursday night? It's honestly a great question. You know, the big thing right now that national people are starting to realize that we've been talking about for a while is that the Hawks don't really have a backup point guard. They don't really have that guy. I mean, they have a two-way guy in Brandon Goodwin who was already sent to the G League and might be back by the time the game starts on Thursday. But I think it's going to be. I don't know, DeAndre Bembry, he's he's the guy who started um, the second half on right. on Tuesday. But honestly, it's going to be a rotating door of characters. That's, that's, it's kind of a bad answer that you're asking me that, but I really don't know. I mean, I'm, we're all kind of guessing. It could be Bembry. It could be Kevin Herter, who's been on the minutes restriction, who's really is normally the starting shooting guard. He could start right. um, at point guard, I guess nominally. But yeah, no real clear answer. And for the most part, it's going to be a lot of different guys doing a lot of different things. Is that... By design, I mean, what was Lloyd Pierce thinking uh, arranging this team? I mean, obviously, it's not just up to him, but I mean, what's the 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 rationale behind having a team without any true backup there? I mean, I, I know most teams carry at least one player who can be, uh, uh, you know, a seminal backup there. I just I don't understand the the, the thinking there. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on this one. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I referenced this quite a bit. I had some people all around the league that didn't understand that before the season started too. It was it's basically it's pretty curious. I think the thinking to be generous to Travis Schlenk, who built this roster, is that when you have Trey Young and he's your offensive engine, and you know, I, ideally you would want someone to maybe play alongside him as a backup point guard, and I guess the backup point guard need is a little bit smaller when your point guard is your best player and is going to play you know, high 30s in minutes. That's the generous interpretation. Um, I, I do think that it would have been nice to have an, an option, even if, even if that guy didn't play all the time. Um, right. If they wanted to go big at times when Trey left the court, I would have understood that. But maybe signing someone as a stopgap in this exact case, uh, I, know, I know Trey is very durable, which is something to their credit, I suppose, that they would have seen that coming. But, you know, freak, act, freak injuries happen. And I am kind of with you on this one. It didn't really make a ton of sense to me. I think they just wanted to build a sort of switchable, big, versatile unit with a lot of different options. And they do have a bunch of secondary ball handlers. So if you want to be generous, you could say that, look, they have six, they have like five or six guys who can kind of fill that role in certain degrees. You know, when they acquired Evan Turner in the trade from Kent Bazemore, that day they were already leaking out information saying that he was, he was going to be the backup point guard. So... That was the plan all along. I'm not sure it's a good plan, but it was the plan. Yeah, I, you know, maybe it's just my perspective from covering Miami for so long that where they've had like multiple players at each position with this kind of depth, not you know, not having any kind of clear superstar, but having this glut almost at every position uh, with nobody really emerging and, and this kind of um, you know th- this variance as far as like skill sets and, and a lot of versatility, but again, no. No real clear-cut star, at least until you know Jimmy Butler's addition this summer. So my my thinking is that well, you always have somebody who can at least handle that position. But I mean, it's just interesting that's played out this way. I would never have, have thought of uh, um, 
uh, Evan Turner as the backup point guard, but I guess that's something that he could potentially play. But let's kind of get into Tuesday's game a little bit because I'm curious what you thought about Miami. This is is this your first chance actually seeing Miami? Well, I think it's a lot. Now that I think about it, with Jimmy Butler there, clearly it's the first time anybody's seen this real rotation from Eric Spolstra. So, what were your original thoughts on on this uh, Miami Heat team? Yeah, I had seen bits and pieces of Miami, but certainly the first full game that I watched, and of course the first game with Butler that anybody had seen on a grand scale, you know, I thought they were pretty solid. I mean, that was took advantage of the offense that the Hawks were not able to put on the court after Young left the game. But yeah. you know, J- Jimmy had a nice strong start. I think he had 12 points in the first like seven, eight minutes, something like that. Um, he played very well early on. I didn't think he was like spectacular by any means. Maybe, maybe you did. I thought he was okay. He just kind of looked like Jimmy Butler to me. And Tyler Hero, for whatever reason, just kind of owns the Hawks. He had the huge game in the preseason as well, where he absolutely exploded and went crazy, uh, mostly against Trey Young in the first quarter. This time around, it was the second quarter. But um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the the two things that really ended up dooming the Hawks defensively in this game. And I thought Gore Dragic played well. Uh, Dragic has been a guy I think people have just kind of forgotten nationally, if I, if I, if I can speak to that. I think Dragic is kind of just a guy who used to be good in a lot of people's minds, but he can still play, and I think that's pretty clear. But because he's not starting and all that stuff, he's just kind of anonymous, but he played well. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I thought that Miami wasn't spectacular, but they absolutely didn't need to be. They kind of just held serve and got through it in a game where their starters just kind of dominated. Yeah, I I mean, the the Dragic thing is pretty interesting because I was talking to Sean Woodley of Locked on Raptors, and he was telling me how Raptors fans – hate Goran Dragic for some reason. So I think there's this <laughs> national, yeah, there's this kind of weird national perception about Goran, the player that he is. I know he's a little physical as a point guard, and maybe that's part of the reason why there's some vitriol headed his way. But as far as his level of play, last year was a kind of an aberration and that he was injured and, and obviously not much of a contributor. And he's clearly in decline last night's game, uh, you know, be, being somewhat atypical. I don't think we're going to be able to see that kind of production regularly from him. I mean, probably close to it, but not exactly at that point. He was just, I mean, his shooting was phenomenal. Seven of 12 overall and five of nine from three-point range. I'm not sure that we're going to get that kind of explosive scoring from him. But I think the six-man rule for role for him is one that he's really well suited for. And he's willing to make the change. That was a, a surprising thing about a guy like him who was an all-NBA selection, an all-star and that he's just very comfortable coming off the bench, but I think he can absolutely be a productive player. Yeah, I think that's a good a good description. I think you know a lot of teams would like to have Goran Dragic on their teams, uh, yeah. so that's oh, not Dallas supposedly. Yeah, that's that was weird. I mean, that whole negotiation was strange. I'm, I'm sure you talked about it at length, but yeah, just kind of odd in some ways to have him in that role, but also a nice luxury for uh, the Heat, who were obviously pretty loaded in some respects. Um, I, I was interested to see the matchup between Bam Adebayo and John Collins. They, they they were famously in the same draft class and compared to each other quite often. Both guys played well. I thought Collins was kind of the only guy who played well offensively um, for the Hawks in this game, and then Bam is uh, is Bam. Bam's very good. I know I know you know that, but I'm just going to say it out loud. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. Coming up next, the matchup to watch on Thursday night. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. So let's get into it a little bit. We'll debate the Bam Adebayo versus John Collins matchup. Uh, what What's your take of that? Because I think, obviously, both, as you hinted at before, both from the same draft class, Adebayo, completely different. Collins seems to shoot particularly well against Miami, and I, I kind of tend to think you know, that he's... Still a little annoyed at the fact that the hometown team 
didn't select him in the draft and, and passed him up in order to select Adebayo, um, Collins fell. What was his his draft position? He was what sixteenth or, or something he, like that. He he went all the way to nineteen, which was actually okay. a pretty pretty big surprise at the time. But uh, the Hawks were happy about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't doubt it. I mean, I I thought he was a good fit in Miami, and obviously he was a name that was attached to the Heat for a long time. They brought him in for workouts. He spoke glowingly about the franchise, and I mean, a lot of that is just pre-draft stuff. But uh, he did talk about the opportunity to play for his hometown team, the team that he rooted for when he was growing up, and things of that sort. So I was a little surprised. Adebayo wasn't on, I think, anybody's radar as far as uh, the, the 13th selection for Miami. And so that was a huge shock. And, you know, I remember the night of the draft thinking, you know, who is this Bam Adebayo? And then seeing some of his workouts and, and what he could do at Kentucky. And obviously at Kentucky, you don't see the, the full picture of what a player could bring to the table. But since then, I think a lot of Heat fans are, are very surprised. And Adebayo, as you mentioned before, very, very good. A strong defensive presence, a guy who can bring the ball up, and a very, very strong initiator on offense as well. So how would you compare the two players? And, and you know, which one of them are you? would you prefer having on your roster? I know you kind of seen John Collins a lot more closely than I have. So what is it about Collins that makes him stand out as a player? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. They're basically the same age as well and very similar size. I think Bam is more of a center than John Collins. You know, coming into the league, I, I personally thought that Collins was going to end up being a, uh, maybe not a full-time center, but more of a primary center. To this yeah. point in time, he's pretty much played the four. There are times when the Hawks play him at the five, but for the most part, he's playing three-quarters of his minutes or maybe even more than that at the four. So slightly different roles there. Collins is more... You know, established as an offensive entity. You know, last year he averaged, I think, you know, almost 20 points a game, 19 and a half points a game for a full season, whereas Bam was just in a smaller role and wasn't able to post that kind of production. I think Bam's yeah. the better defensive player right now, pretty comfortably, although Collins is showing some good signs this season that are very, very encouraging to me because I've been worried about Collins' defense for quite some time, um, but he's showing good signs in my opinion, um, whereas I think I certainly prefer John offensively from a safety perspective, he's just kind of done it, I do think Bam is very skilled, and like you said, initiates pretty well in an underrated way, so I think they're, I know, similar is the wrong word, but they're kind of comparable in a lot of ways, they're, you know, yeah. the fact that they're the same size really turns that in, and of course the same draft class, so I think, if anything, you'll get more comparisons instead of less, maybe you've heard it more there than I've had, than I have here, but I think in Atlanta, there hasn't been a huge comparison between the two. I think because Miami passed on Collins, because he is from there, you've probably even heard it more than I have, but it does make some sense. Yeah, I mean, his, his shooting is, is certainly a lot stronger than, than Bam's. Is that, I know he wasn't very productive this season to, to this point, but did you expect him to be able to put up the kind of hot shooting he did, five of eight from three-point range? I know a lot of that had to do with the fact that Trey was out and he kind of had to take up the bulk of the offense. But even even before Young's injury, I, I feel like he knocked down a number of those shots in that first quarter. And, and I don't think anybody really expected him to be such a hot shooter from the perimeter. Yeah, that was that was definitely an outlier. I think it was actually his career high with five makes, and he made four. He made four in the first quarter, which is certainly a career high for any any quarter that he's had so far in his career. So certainly an outlier. But you know, he didn't make thirty five percent from three last year on some decent volume, so it wasn't coming out of nowhere. Um, there was certainly some question marks, at least for me, uh, before last season. But by the, by the time he was sort of seeing a full season of sample of him shooting, you know, effectively and with confidence, I now believe it. You know, last night was certainly on the very, very high end for what he can do as a shooter. But I think it's definitely a weapon for him. And the fact that he's able, been able to add that and some creation on the perimeter, he's pretty tough to guard now. Uh, defensively, there are questions, and I'm not I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar offensively. But the fact that he basically had a full season already where he averaged nearly 20 and 10 at 21 years old. Like there's just a lot of production there, and, and and doing it efficiently is also pretty impressive. So you know the shooting isn't qu isn't quite what you saw last night, to be sure, but right. uh, it's definitely a weapon for him. 
four assists too. I, is he a strong playmaker? I, I don't know if he. Will, I would categorize him at the same level as Bam and Abaya, but is he is that a strong suit of his? I think Bam's a better playmaker right now. Uh, Collins has come on with that. They want him to uh, have the ball in, the, in his hands more. He definitely wants to do that and sees himself as someone who can kind of be an all-court kind of player. He's flashed it, to be sure, in the short roll situations. Like He could certainly have the ball in his hands more often than I ever thought he was going to coming into the NBA. I still think Bam's a little bit further ahead of him because he's just more comfortable in my mind. But Collins has been able to do that, and the passing, particularly now if Trey misses a game or two, will see the ball in his hands even more. And I said this on my podcast last night, I think the Hawks should have played through him even more than they did against Miami on Tuesday. I know he had 30 points, but he probably should have the ball as a primary even more than he did. So using him in that role is their best bet right now, and I think he could handle more usage. Do you do you expect Kevin Herter to um, – yeah, I know he's on a minutes restriction, but what do you, how do you see his role evolving this year? Because I think he's a guy that is probably flying under a lot of radars right now. I had a chance to talk to him in Orlando last year, and – it seemed like he was really up on, on the up and up uh, at that point, and and then he was injured, and now obviously he's still missing time there. But I, I I like his game. I think a lot of people still see him as a shooter, but he still has he has a lot of versatility offensively. What do you, what do you see his role being for Atlanta this year? Yeah, I think once he is back to full go, uh, not on a restriction minutes wise, he'll be the starting shooting guard. I mean, there's this. Uh, there's kind of a local push because Cam Reddish is a very, very popular player. He's been starting nominally at the two because they don't really have another option there. But for me, Kevin Herter is the best shooting guard on the roster pretty clearly. I was saying before the season started, he was the third best player on the team. I still believe that at this point in time. You know, Hunter's been very good as a rookie, but Herter is someone who can create offense in an underrated way. Like you said, you know, his shooting is his number one asset still by by a pretty significant margin. But he's a legit 6'7". He can handle the ball. He's a semi-decent defender who can have some growth in that area as well. If he gets stronger... That's the big thing for him, but he's already put on a little bit of weight, get, get to the free throw line more and do a little bit more off the dribble than he was able to do last year. Um, sort of the sky's the limit. I, I think that not, not necessarily star upside, but certainly a guy who can go out and maybe average 18 a game for a full season, that, that kind of player in the future. Um, this year, still a supporting piece to be sure, but you know, definitely a, a dynamic shooter. And the fact that he can kind of do more, I think, again, same thing with, as Collins. Without Trey Young on the floor, he's going to have to have the ball in his hands. Even when Trey is playing, when Trey goes to the bench, you're going to want Kevin Herter to have the ball in his hands because he's maybe the best playmaker that they have without Young, which is not necessarily his number one thing. But because he can do that, you want to give him an opportunity to grow, and uh, that's something he could certainly um, do in the future. I kind of want to take a step back a little bit now that I have you on the line here yeah. and, and just wonder about what's the plan for Atlanta because I think a lot of people view this team, and, and obviously they're very young. They're They're not – they're not rebuilding anymore. They're still building towards something. But I think a lot of people have questions about what the, what it is that they're building towards. Some people see them as a legitimate playoff team right now. I don't happen to be in that group, but I think obviously you have a, a much better perspective on where the team is coming from, where they'd like to accomplish this season, and what their end goals are and how soon they'd like to achieve them. Because I think that's, you know, obviously the, the, the playoffs would be a great achievement for them, but I don't know if it's realistic. Where do you stand on this? Yeah, I, I think that it you know the playoffs should be a goal for this team this season, but one that I personally feel is not super likely. It is certainly possible, and we saw a little bit of that flash in their first two games when they went out and beat a couple of pretty solid teams in Detroit and Orlando. Um, but 
I think this Hawks team is still a year away from that being like the absolute goal, like the expectation kind of thing. Whereas right. this year, it's a it's a high end goal and it's one that, that's attainable. But this is still a, a building season, in my opinion. You know, there is some upside with this team because of Trey Young, especially, and because of John Collins. In fact, they have some some competent veterans. But for the most part, this is a very very youthful basketball team. They have a lot of guys who are under twenty five years old playing prominent roles. They have a bunch of first, second, and third year players playing a bunch, and the rookies right now, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, and Bruno Fernandes are all playing real roles, and rookies are generally not great necessarily in the moment. You know, Hunter is more advanced than a typical rookie, but Reddish and Fernando, not as much. So, you know, for me, they're still a year away from being that kind of team, but playoffs is what they should be aiming for. I think it's a realistic goal for them, but not something that I'm going to actually predict to happen. It's more of the, for me, they're more like that number 10 kind of team in the Eastern Conference, maybe 10, 11 range, something like that, you know, low to mid 30s in the wins, and that's kind of where I've been, and nothing really changed in the first week of the season. I know maybe people got more excited in Atlanta, and with right with good reason, by the way, because Trey looks so good, but for me, I'm not changing much about what I think, and it's still a building season for me. What What is the vibe around Atlanta about the team? I mean, now that they have a clear superstar there in Trey and, and another complimentary player in, in John Collins, is there more excitement about the team that there has been in the past? I mean, I know a lot of it's been a little overstated about not being able to sell out the arena and things of this sort, but is there is there broad fan support for this kind of group? Yeah, I think it's probably the most buzz they've had, honestly, since 2015 when they won 60 games. Um, and they had, they had a, the, the season after that, they won 48 games. And I can tell you firsthand that there is more buzz right now than there was when they won 48 games uh, four years ago. So it's definitely, you know, some of it's a little bit misplaced. There's probably a little bit of, uh, you know, just fans being fans and being probably a little bit too excited in the moment. But that, that's a good thing, uh, honestly. When you talk about fan interest in, in the city of Atlanta, it's not always been there for this team. So they have this young core. You know, Trey Young is a legitimate, you know, star-level guy in the way that they are handling him, the way the fan base is embracing him, and the fans are all excited about the rookies as well. So um, the fact that they were able to sell out the home opener and have that really be a good atmosphere throughout the game is new in Atlanta. There was MVP chance for Trey Young that night. and made, I, I don't think that he's going to win MVP this year by any means, but the fact that they were actually doing that for a for a home player, and, 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 and basically in the past, opposing players would get that kind of treatment in Atlanta. It'd be a lot of split crowds when the Lakers came to town, or when LeBron came to town, there'd be a ton of LeBron fans. For a Hawks crowd to be you know, pretty much 100% behind the Hawks in a big game and be and have that be sold out. Even the opener was new, and I think that's a good thing for this team. So the buzz is real. Um, it's probably a year too early in terms of expectations in some in some respects, but I think they're just excited to have this young core on, on the books, and that's it's definitely you know, justifiable because they have that much excitement. Remember to listen and subscribe to new and archived episodes of both Locked on Heat and Locked on Hawks on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave a rating and review, especially if it's a good one. So, Brad, obviously there's a lot of buzz, as you mentioned before, about the young rookie class here. You've got a couple of prominent rookies in Miami and Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero and a couple in Atlanta as well, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. What's what's your feeling on on this rookie race between the two teams? How, how are the rookies panning out in Atlanta so far? I know it's a small sample size, but what have you liked and not liked from them so far? Yeah, I, I think Hunter is, you know, number one on the list in, in some ways because he went so high in the draft, but also because he's just more established. Lloyd Pierce has been talking about Hunter like he's a veteran already. You know, after his first game, he got asked about DeAndre Hunter, and he said DeAndre Hunter is not a, is not a rookie. 
<laughs> that was his answer. <laughs> it was hysterical. Um, but it's because of the fact that Hunter is a little bit more mature than a typical rookie. He played more years in college, but he just plays like a vet, honestly. You know, defensively, he's really solid. Offensively, he plays within himself. And he's someone I've, I've liked for a long time. I think upside is a, is a legitimate question for a top five pick. He doesn't really have a typical top five pick profile offensively. But I think you know, just the fact that he's a 6'8", two-way wing is really, really valuable in today's NBA. So he's interesting to be sure. Reddish, um, you know, number, number, number 10 overall pick, certainly someone who was a big-time high school prospect. He's behind the curve a little bit offensively. I think you probably saw that in the game on Tuesday. Just offensively, he's just kind of raw right now. Had a great dunk over, uh, over Hero that made, some no- that made some noise. But for the rest of the game... Kind of uneven offensively. I think defensively he's actually ahead of schedule, which is good um, for the Hawks. But offensively, just kind of a mixed bag. He's got to figure out what what he's going to be able to do at the NBA level. And then Fernando's second-round pick, just, you know, some a guy who people had in the first round in a lot of respects. He has a first-round talent, probably a late first-round talent, but still first-round talent, and someone who I think could be a piece of the future. Um, you know, Heroes, by the way, very popular, I think, nationally, which you know. But uh, that was a guy that Hawks fans seemed to like in the draft. I wonder if they considered him. It's, it's kind of high for where they were in the top 10, but Hero looks like a guy who could have gone in the top 10 with the way he's playing so far. Yeah, have you been surprised at Hero's production? Because I, I don't think we saw anything like that when in his one year at Kentucky. Uh, and obviously, as I mentioned before, in, in context of Bam Adebayo, John Calipari's system doesn't necessarily uh, maximize the players that they have there because of the one-and-done system and everything else that happened. I mean, we saw Carl Anthony Towns kind of be marginalized during his, t- his tenure there. So it's not all that surprising that even a player like Tyler Hero wasn't necessarily highlighted the way he could be. But I, I've been surprised. I mean, I don't think... A lot of Heat fans expected him to be on the board. Uh, you know, I, I think they brought him in for workouts, but you know, obviously there were concerns about his wingspan and his defensive limitations and things of that sort. But uh, I, I think Heat fans are very happy to have him on the roster now. But that was a big surprise. What's what's the feeling what, what, around Atlanta uh, and your personal feelings on Tyler Hero and his game? Yeah, I think I'm with you that it was kind of a surprise for him to be this good this early. I think, you know, it, he'll have some moments when he struggles, I, I would imagine, in the future. Yeah, well, um, if, you, if you listen to enough Heat fans, you'll think he's already enshrined at Springfield, I'll tell you that much. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, that's, they're, that's what happens with rookies. It's the same thing with Reddish, and I think Reddish especially on my side. Um, it's just the fact that, you know, rookies are easy to get, get excited about, and particularly when Hero shoots the way he did um, and scores the way he has in the recent past already. Like, it's easy to get excited about those guys. But, you know, I, I liked Hero as a prospect I didn't love him as a prospect for the reasons you that you kind of stated he's not he's not big if the shot doesn't go in I'm not sure what else is going to happen there but the shot's going in so if the shot goes in on a regular basis that's that's going to be fine obviously and uh, I think probably ideally I have some questions about what his role his best role is going to be because he's kind of just that instant offense guy but he, he competes defensively he's not big but he gives good effort for the most part and I I, I I thought he was a first round talent as a shot maker and he certainly looks the part of being that so he kind of defies some of the standards that you would normally set for a guy in the top 15 that isn't a point guard but also is point guard size in a lot of respects but when you shoot like he can and create your shot and get to the rim even a little bit that he has so far I think that's uh, pretty clearly something to get excited about out, even if uh, people I'm sure are a little bit too excited yeah I mean he, he's been flashy and, and that's something that Miami's been lacking for a long time I, I mean I think Deion Waiters is probably the flashiest player that they've had there in, in the past you know three four years and uh, obviously he's he's no longer the player he once was here and he's off the roster for the most part but uh, Hero just brings a style that a lot of people have not seen for some time, and, and he is a good shooter. He is also a pretty decent playmaker, and he, he does get to the rim pretty easily as well. He's got surprising 
touch around the basket. And so I think that's a, a probably something he can go to if that shot isn't falling. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. But I, I think there's even more optimism surrounding Kendrick Nunn, who, you know, obviously was a, a last-minute pickup at the end of last season. And he's he thrived in summer league. He outperformed here, I think, in some regards in, in, uh, in summer league. And although I didn't personally have ex- high expectations for him, mostly because you had Dion Waiters and others on this roster already, he's outperformed almost everybody on this roster uh, short of Jimmy Butler. Um, did you see anything in none that uh, you think he might be? Is he a legitimate rookie of the year candidate in your perspective? I'd be surprised if he actually became one by the end of the year, but the production will probably be there as long as he's in this role playing 30 minutes a night. I mean, half the battle with rookies is just playing a lot, um, and that's something he's going to do, it appears, unless something changes. You know, the off-court stuff's weird for me to talk about with Kendrick Nunn, but yeah. I think that, uh, you know, as a player, I've always kind of liked him. Um, so I think he's interesting. I'm not sure that he's going to average the numbers required to actually be a rookie of the year candidate with guys like John Morant and RJ Barrett slated for high usage roles in addition to whatever Zion ends up doing. But could he be an all rookie guy, like a top 10 rookie that makes one of those teams? Absolutely. If you play 30 minutes a night on a playoff team, that's usually a pretty good path to getting in contention for that kind of stuff. So let's get into it. Anything uh, that you're particularly looking for in the rematch on Thursday night, obviously without Trey there, it's a little harder to kind of, gauge what this team might be like but is there anything that you're particularly looking for i think just on my end it's all about what the offense looks like without trey young which we talked about that a little bit earlier but just generating quality looks the the on off splits for his offense um offense with him on the court and offense with him off the court it's just been stark for, for a year and a half now so if the hawks can score at a decent maybe even approaching league average rate in this game, they'll have a chance. If they can't, then they probably won't. Because, you know, defensively, even without Young on the court, the Hawks have been pretty good this this year defensively, but I think expectations for them are a little bit lower than that as a general rule for the defense. So there's a reason that the early uh, Vegas Lions came out with Miami being a pretty, pretty pretty substantial favorite in Atlanta. It's because, you know, Trey means a lot. And if Miami's at full strength, which they appear to be, they are clearly the better team if Young's not going to play. So um, just keeping an eye on, on, on the offense and whether they can score on a team that's going to be ready for them. Yeah, I'm looking for Justice Winslow to kind of bounce back because I think he really struggled a lot with Jimmy Butler back in the lineup. And I know a lot of Heat fans were disappointed considering he had played as well as he did him for the first three games. And then he just kind of looked out of sorts there without the ball in his hands. He wasn't able to convert the, you know, he only knocked down one of his seven shots and he just, he wasn't comfortable in an off-ball role considering he'd had the ball in his hand so often during the first three games. So how he kind of responds to that should be an interesting factor to watch in, in Thursday's matchup. Any final predictions? I know it's kind of silly to make, but do you, do you expect <laughs> Atlanta to have a chance here? Uh, a chance? Absolutely. Uh, I would not pick okay. the Hawks to win. I, I think okay. that Miami is uh, should be favored, and they are favored in this game. I think the Hawks will have to play some really good defense in order to win this contest, and I would not pick that. But in the NBA, uh, essentially everyone has a chance, particularly unless you're playing against like a one of the elite teams. You know, if you get a matchup where you're talking about a, a mid-tier playoff team like like Miami against a team that's a lot worse than that without Trey Young, but they're, but they're playing at home. Should be a good crowd. TNT game. I think the Hawks can hang around, but I would pick Miami for sure. Okay, sounds good. All right, make sure you follow Brad and Locked on Hawks during the matchup. That's it for today. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat or email me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. I'm David Ramil signing off and thanking you as always for your support. And thank you, Brad, for appearing.